Welcome to the Be Better Podcast with Lee Barrison. True stories from Bakersfield's business owners and entrepreneurs. Lee is a local real estate broker that sold over 1,700 houses in almost 18 years. He is a husband, father, owner, and lead coach of Infinity Real Estate Services. And now it's time for the Be Better Podcast. Hey guys, it's Lee Barrison here with episode two of the Be Better Podcast. And uh, first off, I just uh, want to thank everybody out there that's listened to our podcast who, are, who, who is either listening or has uh, begun to follow us. And um, if you, anybody out there would be so kind to uh, give us a, um, a, a five-star rating, maybe even write a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, again, I have another very, very powerful uh, uh, story here today. And I want to introduce to you guys uh, Michael Morin. Mike, say hi. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Lee, thanks for having me. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you coming. Um, it, this is a really big privilege to me, guys. Um, uh, for on a number of, of different levels, um, you know, I've known Mike for how long? How long have we known each other for now? Uh, it's been probably close to six years. Well, About six years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and. Um, so me and Mike have known each other for six years, and uh, we we had an interesting run-in. I guess is the best way to put it. You very, know? very. Um, as you know, I'm I'm a real estate agent, and uh, Mike happened to be selling his house. I never knew the guy. Didn't even know what he looked like or anything. Um, but to to sum it up, we basically I had a buyer for Mike's house, and uh, Mike had a bad experience with a real estate agent, and basically Mike was done. He's like, look, I'm canceling this transaction. I don't care what you do, but I'm canceling, right? Right. You were like determined to cancel this. I was done, yeah. You were finished. I didn't need to sell the house. You didn't need to sell the house, exactly, right? And But yet, I myself had to sell his house, <laughs> right? Because I had buyers that were all packed up, they had job transfers, they had school transfers, and basically I said, Mike, please, for the sake of God, just think about this overnight. Get back to me. And by the way, I'll give you all my commission. It's not about the money right now. It's just about helping my people. And so he said, okay, fair enough. I'll call you in the morning. Well, he called me in the morning. He says, okay, fair enough. If you're willing to give up your commission, I'll go ahead and sell the house. And I said, perfect. And so that's how I met Mike. And since six years ago, since he and I, uh, first uh, ran into each other, um, Mike has been, he's really, really become a big mentor, somebody who I really look up to, somebody who um, is really just a blessing to me and my life. You know, I've got a small circle of people in my life, Mike. I don't know about you, but I don't have this big entourage. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have a, uh, you know, I guess the, the bigger you get, they say, the, the smaller the circle gets, right? Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, you're one of those people that really I admire somebody who um, I think is a blessing again in my life. It's kind of ironic how we ran into each other, but more importantly, just a really dear friend. And, and I really appreciate that. So, so let's, let's go ahead and get started with this, okay? Okay. Because Mike has a very interesting story. Um, what do you do for them? Well... I like to say I'm an entrepreneur. 
Entrepreneur. <laughs> entrepreneur. Okay. Entrepreneur. Um, basically, I, I, I started my first business when I was 18 years old, and uh, I'm 50 years old now, and I just um, have owned multiple businesses. Currently, I own a few different businesses, but the one that people would know in town that I know, I'm, I'm in the pawn shop industry, mm -hmm. so I own pawn shops here in town. Yeah. So that's what I do locally, but then I also own... Uh, uh, we do a lot of import-export manufacturing, private labeling, and then um, lots of IP intellectual property with patent portfolios and patent strategies and mm. so forth. So, yeah, I do quite a bit. You're yeah. all over the place. I'm all over the place, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. So, so you're 50 now. 50 years old. You just had now. a birthday. I did. Well, in February this year, it was the big 5-0, so. Okay, that's right. Because last time we sat down, yeah. you, you mentioned that. You just had a birthday. Yeah. So yeah, congratulations. Thank so, you. I made it. Yeah, you made it. Yeah. So, but now, you know, okay, so you made it, right? But you started from the bottom. Yeah, I started from... Uh, you lived in a, you know, in a, in a decent neighborhood. I know your mom and dad. Yeah. You, you weren't you weren't a trust fund baby. No, not at all. We have a middle class, lower Hispanic middle class family. Right. And, you know, my mom and dad worked hard to give us every opportunity they could, you know. Um, you know, we didn't get to wear Levi's and Nikes, but hey, you know what? We had pants and food on, pants on our body, clothes on our body and food on our table. Sure. So, um, yeah, I was blessed to have the parents that I had. Yeah, and I know, I know your parents personally, and they are a class act. They are. They really I, are. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have both of them at, uh, still around and uh, as mentors in my life. Mm -hmm. So we started from the bottom. And tell me more about that. You said you started your first business when you were 18. What what was that business? What did that business look, look like? I owned an attorney service. I, I got into um, uh, serving subpoenas and finding witnesses and defendants. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had an uncle who was an invest private investigator, and uh, I got this idea. And along with him, he kind of showed me the ropes, and I started down that path. And, about three years into that, I realized that I did not like working for attorneys. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm out of here. So exited out of that. Okay. Um, and then I, I, I went to work for a year for AT&T and I realized that I, I didn't like working for, for anybody. Mm. And that for myself would be a, a better avenue for me to go down. So um, from there I uh, left AT&T as a long distance operator and then started off down the road with my other ventures. Mm -hmm. So now, at one point, you were bartering stuff at the swap meet. Yeah, that was after. Um, so I, from there, I went. And I owned a landscaping company that went south because of a partnership. Um, uh -huh. And then, so in between there, I ended up gardening, and uh, as a gardener. Okay. And um, not the kind of probably one of the most humbling times of my life, as far as just because I thought. I could do better as far as I didn't want to be a manual labor. Nothing wrong with manual labors, but sure. I had made a decision not to go to college um, based on that I didn't like school. Uh, definitely an advocate of higher education, but for me, formal education wasn't the way to go. Um, Why is that? It just the structure. Um, you know, when I was going to school, they taught you one way and one way only. Yeah. And you know, I was more of a tactical learner, hands-on type of. You know, they wanted to teach. You know, a linear thought, a linear, a linear way of teaching that I didn't learn that way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I needed to be hands-on. You know, I needed to be um, in the midst of it, and that's not how they taught. 
So for me, not understanding that at my young age, realized that, well, education, our formal education is not for me. I didn't even know what the word formal was. Uh, you know, so you I thought it was a dance. Yeah, I thought it was a dance, right? <laughs> so I couldn't say formal education yeah. there, but I knew this, that the way they were teaching me wasn't working. Sure. And so I just went on to figure out, like, you know, we didn't have YouTube and all the ways of learning like we do now. So I just figured, oh, let me figure this out. Let me get my hands dirty and let's go back to trial and error. So mm -hmm. I learned by trial and error. Good. So do I. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, so let's talk about the bartering business. Thing. Okay. Okay. So, so you were a gardener. Yeah. And you, you basically got, became very humble. It, yeah. Uh, I left there, um, decided that, uh, what am I going to do? I was kind of, uh, had a baby on the way. Uh, I had gotten married, baby on the way. Uh, frustrated. I'm about 23 years old and I'm going, what in the world am I going to do here? Dude, you should have stayed in school. Why I thought that is that's because what society told me to sure. stay in school, yeah. get a good job. And so I thought, well, maybe I should have listened. In doing so, um, I'm sitting there one day, I get a phone call from a, a guy that I used to work with like when I was 16 years old and he wanted to borrow $800. And I'm thinking to myself, I need 800 I need 800 bucks. <laughs> so I'm listening to him and he says, hey, I want to buy these tools. Uh, I'll double your money and anything over beyond that will split. I said, okay. You know, being the, the entrepreneur that I was, I went and got $800 on a credit card, lent it to him. And sure enough, in a week's time, he gave me $1,600 back. And then we ended up splitting another, um, I think, 2000 on top of that. So I made a told of, you know, what, 1800 bucks in yeah. two weeks. Hmm. And so um, I said, hey, can we do that again? And then we just kind of repeated that process over and over. And what he was doing is at the time he was living in Lancaster, California, and the government was, uh, was voiding out all the government contracts in the aeronautic industry. And uh, he was buying these tools and going to the swap meet and selling them. So they were, you know, quality tools. And so... And doing that, we just kept repeating this process. Well, after about probably a little less than a year of me going and traveling, my wife says, hey, we got a kid now and you're gone all the time. Yeah, the bills are paid, but this isn't fun. So I decided to open up a, a shop, of, mm -hmm. like a swap meet, but indoors, right? And it's just a small little 1200 foot shop. And basically that's how I started in the pond industry in 1993. Wow, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, you had you you had a shop. Mm -hmm. Didn't you used to go to the swap meet, and you couldn't speak Spanish, right? So you told me you, you had to go hire somebody that. Yeah. So what I did is communicate. I owned the shop, but you know when you first open a shop, people just don't come in. Yeah. So I would take the stuff from the shop, put it in a truck, and go to the swap meet, sell it what I could sell, bring it back, clean it off, and put it back in the shop. Right. So okay. seven days a week. You're right, um, big Hispanic population in uh, California in general, but course, in yeah. Kern County, um, Santa Clarita, Lancaster, lots of Hispanic speaking, Spanish speaking uh, clientele. Uh, so there was a kid there that would, uh, spoke Spanish and I told him, hey, how about I, I pay you, buy you some breakfast, give you some cash and you speak Spanish for me and we'll make some deals. And <laughs> the kid it. was really good, so we went down that path and that's what I did. Uh, I used him, paid him to 
Uh, it's a funny story. I'll tell you something yeah. about that as, as we progress. Um, so that's how that's how I did it at the swap meet. Yeah, because okay. I didn't speak Spanish. Unfortunately, I didn't learn as a youngster. So. Right. Yeah. No doubt. That's interesting. So so then so then you transitioned into your first pawn shop. Yes, yeah, so I transitioned into a buy-sell trade shop. Not necessarily a pawn shop. Not necessarily a pawn shop. Okay. Um, started this buy-sell and trade. Um, basically, what happened was is it was, it was quite interesting. When I was about 16 years old, 15 years old, I walked into a pawn shop and I had 300 bucks and I wanted to buy a guitar. And when I walked in there, the pawn shops, they treated me like they didn't want my money. I was kind of blown away, like, well, who treats... A customer like this, right, right, right. but they ignored me. They were short with me. Uh, fast forward eight, nine years later, and here I am in the same industry. Yeah. Not realizing I was going to be there, but I had that thought in the back of my mind. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm not going to treat my customers like that. Yeah. So you know, we went in there with an understanding of uh, let's treat our customers better than we were treated, mm. and let's see what happens. And we went down that path. So it was buy, sell, and trade is what I originally started with. And we decided that we wanted to make it. A pawn shop always had that dark and seedy reputation like we see in Hollywood, right? Drug addicts coming in. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our theory was is that we wanted a mom and her child to feel safe in our store. Right. That they okay. could come in and it was clean and it was lit up and... There's a, a, a representative of our store with a smile on their face. Mm. So that's, hence we started uh, our first uh, buy-sell trade. Interesting. Yeah. So um, that's what we did. And we kind of changed the industry within, in our county for sure, because we brought a whole different aspect to it. Um, even, the, even the concept of buying and selling and trading, you know, you got to remember this was before Craigslist and eBay and all these internet stores yeah, yeah. open. So, yeah. you know, we, if you wanted to sell something, you would have to go to a shop or mm. quick, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise a classified, like in the Bakersfield, California, mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. and so the newspaper. And so we, uh, we went down that path, ran that for, uh, 13 years, opened up a second location. In my 14th year, I had probably, not probably, the biggest pawn shop owner in town come to me and say, hey, we want to sell you our, um, um, our location. Mm -hmm. It was an interesting uh, thought because he comes to me and he says, uh, well, 14 years ago, I told my guys, this guy will be out of business in a year. And then because you were his I, competition, I was, kind of. Right? I was his competition, yeah. no doubt. Yeah. And then the um, second uh, year, he says, "Well, we'll give him one more year." Well, then we were there. Well, Fourteen years later, he comes to me wanting to buy him out. Mm. So um, yeah, we were at one point where we had four locations. Yeah. So um, it was a it was a journey. So we ended up once again getting back purchasing his. Um, his location, um, building and business, his loan book, and uh, going back to that Spanish thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I want to know, how can I grow this business? Because I know there's opportunity out there. So once again, we looked at the clientele that was coming in. Well, when I took it over, there was not one Spanish-speaking uh, employee. employee in the business. But I noticed that we were getting Spanish-speaking uh, clients coming mm -hmm. in. So, we went on a full rampage of, in one year I spent 300 grand on advertising on the Spanish market. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, and 
long story short, in two years, we doubled the, the, um, the business that he was doing as far as our loan book and the sales. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it, 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 um, it took off. But once again, going back to that Spanish thing, right? We, were, we, we looked deep into what, how we could build this. And yeah. not one pawn shop in town was doing, was doing that. So sure. we realized the stats showed us that 50% of Kern County is Spanish speaking. And no one is... is um, Focusing on No, they're not focusing. They're not catering to that market. Yeah. So um, we went after it. And... Uh, I'm glad we did. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, would you would you suggest for anybody out there listening to to do do the opposite of what most people are doing? Well, what I would you know? say is is what we do in any business I have is we engineer our way to success. Mm-hmm. That's what you do to succeed. You have to engineer engineer your way there. Um, you you can't just show up. But, sure. You know, I, you know, a lot of people want to want to just show up and grind and grind and do the work. And um, and I was watching one of your videos today, and you were talking about hustling, and I wanted to comment on that. Mm-hmm. Hustling is good, mm-hmm. but if you're not hustling the right way, it could be your downfall. Mm, yeah, because no you can doubt. show up and hustle, and guess what? If you don't have, if you haven't engineered it the right way, guess mm. what? You're gonna fall flat on your face. Yeah. Well, once again, the reason I can say that is because. Remember I talked about trial and error? Mm-hmm. I did a lot of hustling and a lot of falling. You know? <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, you That's engineer. Funny, yeah. And I wouldn't say it's always doing the opposite, but it's engineering your way, looking at the data correctly and saying, ah, this is where we need to move. Got ah, it. Yeah. This way, this way. We it's need to turn right cons- It's consistent pivoting it all, all the way through. There's never, a f- I mean, you consistently have to Readjust, readjust, readjust. Definitely. Right. So, so we, we, we always qualify and quantify, right? Mm-hmm. You have to know what the data is, and then you qualify and quantify on a continuum over and over and over. Mm. If you don't do that, how do you know where you're going? Sure. You yeah. Know? So that's key. Yeah. That's that's the key to success is is creating a history so you can get down the road and look back and say, oh, this is the mistake I made. I'm not making that mistake again. And the reason why is because I know where this leads to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's important to do that. And, I mean, a lot of people don't understand that. It's it's pretty deep to get into, but it's important. The greatest people in the world do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, let me ask you, let's, let's kind of like switch gears here for a second, Mike. Um, okay. But, um, you know, like you mentioned, trial and error, I've fallen on my face multiple times. I mean, is there any, can you think of a specific time in your life or in your career as an entrepreneur where, um, you know, you basically felt like giving up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I could, so, so you got, let's go back to the 1993, I'm opening up the shop, I have a, a kid on the way. Um, it took me four years to take to make my first profit in my business. Mm. So here I am. And how much was that profit? Um, well, that year I made first time I've ever ever had made six figures in my life was after a four year. Four years, got it. Okay. Yeah. So first, yeah. second, third, fourth year finally, and then all of a sudden I'm owing uh, the IRS this money, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have the money. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand finances. I didn't. I was just. I knew how to work. Money came in, went out. Yep. Yeah. Money came in, money went out. Um, so, 
you know, looked at it, reestablished myself. So it took me four years to make one profit, and then I make some money, and now the IRS wants a big portion of it, and I'm mm. going, oh, wait a minute here. And then I uh, turn around and decide, okay, I'm going to go at this again. It took me another six years to make another profit. So I had, in 10 years, I had two profitable years. Mm. Um, so talk about wanting to quit. You're going, I know this works because I had a profitable year. It was a great profitable year. In the meantime, you know, in all fairness, I had um, expanded my business, mm -hmm. bigger location, uh, more employees, but I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't understand it. So in basically 10 years, we had two profitable years and, um, you know, raising a family and, and so forth, it, it wasn't easy. And I, many times that I looked and go, man, did I make the right decision? Mm. Should I have expanded? I mean, we can talk about that. You've, you've, we've, me and you've had some talks about oh, it, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's many times where you go, do a, do I keep going or do I just call it quits here? Yeah. 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 I, I, I've been there too, Mike, you know, like I talked to you about, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, did I, am I, am I built for this? Right. Can I handle this? Yeah. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I think, you know, just to inspire some, some, some of the, the listeners out there, you know, um, I think that there's a lot, you know, entrepreneurship is not a sexy life. No. You know, it's, it's a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears, late nights, early mornings, yeah. you know, um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, just to inspire everybody out there, I think your story, um, hopefully impacts a few people out there because you've had, you had two profitable years where you actually saw money mm -hmm. in 10 years. Yeah. So eight years, you're raising a family, probably questioning yourself all the time. Yeah. But you never gave up. No. And that's, that's probably a pretty big segment as to where, why you're where you're at now, right? No doubt, you know, I, in my mind there was always failure was not an option. Yeah. I couldn't, I, me quitting would have been failure in my eyes. So, right. So I couldn't quit. There were times I wanted to. Sure. There were times I was crying, like literally physically had tears coming down my eyes, you know, I'm thinking, what are you doing? You got two kids now. You're in debt up to your eyeballs. Um, you spent, you know, how much money out of credit cards to make payroll. Um, you know, and so that's 10 years into this and you're in debt. Yeah, you have profit, two profitable years, but you're still in debt. Sure. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but you keep pressing forward and, you know, we talk about engineering our way to success and, um, because I didn't understand that. I didn't have a mentor, business mentor in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you question yourself. I didn't find a business mentor soon enough. One of the biggest things I regret in my business life is not finding that business mentor. What, how many years in the business before you finally, uh, you know, went out and looked for somebody? I was probably around that 10th to 12th year. Was it? Yeah, okay. that I actually found someone that I could go to and had good sound advice and it made sense to mm. me. Spoke my language per se. Yeah. You know, um, and then I started to buy mentorship, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Otherwise known as coaching or coaching. Yeah. yeah. So you do believe in paying money for coaching? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there is a key aspect yeah. to, um, 
Here's what I always say. You want to succeed at something in life, anything in life, build an environment around you to help you succeed. Yeah. And if sometimes building means buying, yeah. you, ha- you have to do that. Uh-huh. Sure. You know, my son's a professional golfer. He, uh, he has coaches that we pay to pay. He's better golfers than them, but they understand certain aspects of the game that he doesn't understand. Guess sure. what? We pay for their time. We pay for their expertise. Yeah. So, um, you want to lose weight? Get a coach. Get a trainer. Get, get a, a trainer. nutritionist. Yeah. Get someone to teach you how to do that. Because if you're a real estate agent, more than likely you don't understand fitness. Sure. You know, unless you do it as a hobby or something. But yeah. for the most part, that's not what you're focused on. You're focused on your business. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah, I do. I'm a big, big advocate of that. For yeah, sure. I am too. And, and I think it takes a faint heart and you have to leave the ego at home in order to become coachable. Not everyone is, you know, some people, you know, I guess specifically speaking about real estate, you know, they went to school for three months to get a license. Now they're selling the biggest asset event that, event that anyone could ever own, you know, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden they think like, you know, they're, no one's going to tell me what to do because yeah. I'm an independent contractor, you right. know, you kind of have to leave the ego at home in order to be coachable. But it, you know, it's one thing to be coachable, but it's another one. It's the application of what you're coach. Yeah. A young lady came to me the, a couple of weeks ago and she asked, um, Hey, when you hire someone, what do you, what do you look for? I said, more than anything, a, a coach, a coachable, a teachable spirit. I mm. said, because I can teach them if they're willing to learn. They don't have to have the skills. I can teach them the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, as a matter of fact, I'd rather them not have the skills, but I'd rather them be teachable. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you get someone with a, with the, that has a personality of a teachable spirit, you find out how, that's a humbling thing. Yeah, it is. And, and those are the people that I like on my team. Mm-hmm. Someone who's willing enough to put down their ego. Mm-hmm. You know, I always ask this question, which is bigger, your, your ego or your, or your um, bank account, right? <laughs> I knew you were going to say Right, right? <laughs> which is bigger. Um, and most of the time it's people's ego. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've never, in, in the most, the, the humblest people I've met um, have the biggest bank accounts. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, because they've learned to put their ego aside. Yeah. You know, so. Well, usually the ego makes them buy the big cars and the big houses. Definitely. And, you know, and then, then, then the bank account's like, you know. Yep. Just a little bit. Okay, so um, just one more uh, situation I want to talk to Mike about here. But um, <clears throat> a while back, you and I were having lunch um, at the Mexican joint down there, nineteenth uh, or twenty-first year. Right? Uh, yeah, uh, Nuestro Mexico. Yes, Nuestro. And and um, you you I was you know we were talking about business and and you you brought up a methodology, and the methodology was five points. Mm-hmm. Number one, it was perform. Number two is analyze. Mm-hmm. Number three it was to correct. Mm-hmm. Number four, chronicle or write it out. Mm-hmm. And then number five was to set the goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like ass backwards compared to my thought process till you explain that to me. Right. Because I always thought, well, you always got to write the goal out first. Right. And then you perform the activity. Right. So can you explain to everybody that methodology? Because it made complete, utterly sense to me after that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, whatever you want to do, first you got to do. Sure. You got to get up and you got to go and you got to perform. And so for me, it's always about going out and, and performing and figuring out, okay, we can take an idea of um, 
is losing weight. Okay, and you can apply this to pretty much anything. Okay. Um, so if you want to lose weight, well, first of all, you get, need to get your butt off the couch and start going to the gym, right? The to action. Start the action. You have to take the action okay. to lose the weight. So once you get going down that path, and once again, it's probably the good idea now at this point is to hire your coach, right? Right. Because it's important to understand if you've never been to the gym before, you don't even know how to take action, mm-hmm. right? So once again, let's build that environment around us so we can succeed. So we got to perform. Okay. So once you perform, you got to analyze your performance. What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How, how is this working? Let's make the corrections now. Okay. So first you perform, then you analyze. So you're tweaking after you perform. You're tweaking, right? Okay. Yeah. What, what works for me? What's yeah. not working for me? How is this working? Does it work at all? Yeah. Um, you know, so you, so you, you analyze that data of your performance. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's important to, to get that down because most people will perform, take, well, here's the problem. Most people will perform, not take any data and they don't have anything to analyze. Mm. So it's important to take your data down and understand, well, what am I doing when I perform? What's happening? What's taking place? Take that and then analyze that data and then make the corrections that you need to make with that data. Which is step three. It's just step three. Yeah. You have to make corrections. If you don't make corrections, obviously you're going to keep going down the wrong path. Get the same result. Get the same result, right? So once you do that, here's something that's very important is to chronicle, to Mm -hmm. journal. You have to write it down. You have to create a history of your performance, of your analyzing, and of your corrections. Mm -hmm. If you do not do that, there's no way you can go back and correct. I mean, you can, you you have, we can look at history in today's world Mm -hmm. and realize what path we've been down because someone journaled it, someone wrote it down. We understand whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whether it's finances, whatever. We know that there's a history of that, that we can look and say, hey, we know that this took place. They did this. We don't want to repeat that mistake. Yeah. Let's learn from that. That's why there's so many books written nowadays. Exactly. Because someone was chronicling. (laughs) Right. Right. And then last but not least is set the goals. Where are you going with all this methodology that you put into place? Good. So, so, so basically uh, take the action first Mm -hmm. and then what you're saying is then analyze after taking, you know, enough action, analyze the data that has come from the activities. Right. And then correct or take a look at your take a look at your um, at your performance, All right? And then correct mm-hmm. or at, when analyzing, you're going to correct or tweak, like mm-hmm. we said, um, your performance, right? And then you're going to write it out, right? So that way you have a reference, right? Um, to look back at and say, oops, doesn't say that here, so I'm not going to do that, right? Well, let's take this quick, yeah, reference, sure. Two years ago, you had the best year you ever had in your life. And you want to be able to go back and say, what did I do during that year? Because all of a sudden, we're on a downward turn. What yeah. were we doing that we're not doing now? Mm-hmm. What was the market like? Yeah. You know, what was I like? You know, th- those are the things. I mean, if you're an athlete, what was I eating? How mm-hmm. was I working out? Who were my coaches? Sure, sure, sure. Right? Yeah. And if you're in business, same thing. Yeah. You know, um, what kind of advertising will we do? Well, you know, the whole, the, it, you have to take the industry that you're in and then fit that to your industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then just set the goals after that. After you know, after you have the uh, chronic, after, after, after you've written it out, now it's just time to set the goal. Where am I going? Yeah, What's do the, I want a six pack or do I just want to look like okay without, with my clothes on? Or do I want to yeah. look good and 
with my clothes off. Or do you want to jump in a pool with your shirt on? There you go. Yeah. That's exactly. Set some goals and yeah. then from there. Okay. You know, that setting goals is something else, a whole other topic we can talk about because most people set goals, but they have no idea how to achieve the goal. How to get there. They don't know how to get there. Yeah. I mean, we see that with uh, New Year's resolutions, right? People set this resolution, but they don't have any idea how to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's very important. It's really easy to say it. It's really easy to say it. But it's harder to plan it and actually do the activities yeah. behind it, right? Goals, setting the goal simple. Yeah. Pulling it off is the difficult part. Yeah. yeah. I, I sometimes I, um, I pull agents aside and I ask them, hey, you know, uh, what does your three to five year goal look like? And they just look at me like a deer in the headlights. Like, what is it? Right. Well, I want to buy a car. Right. Okay. What kind of car? Right. Uh, sports car. Right. Okay. What kind of sports car? Yeah. Right. But they don't have any idea. You know, no. And, and what the goals would you recommend to be as detailed as possible? Well, the clarity creates the four steps prior mm -hmm. to that setting goals is how you achieve them. Yeah. You perform, you analyze, you correct, you chronicle. That's mm -hmm. how you achieve a goal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple. Beautiful. Yeah. So. Well, good deal, Mike. Um, any last words? Any last thoughts? Um, Before we let you go. I mean, if you were to talk to any uh, business owners out there, or if you were to talk to any uh, any entrepreneurs out there, I mean, do you have any last words that you want to share? With yeah, them? find a mentor. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I once heard, uh, and, and this is this is an interesting fact, and this goes along with that chronicling part. I was once told that uh, uh, there's always two books you should have on you, and it's the one you're reading and the one you're writing. Those are the, the two books that, uh, and, and I took that to heart. So once again. Write that book and read some books. I think it's important. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate Pleasure. you so much. Dude. Thank you. Yeah. Peace.